we come to you humbly today saying, speak to us. Lord, we ask you for your wisdom and direction during the series on how to move from being a believer to a disciple. Lord, our prayer is that we would grow through this series. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us as individuals. As individuals, your plan for our life, show us the next steps, those things that we need to work on, those things that we need to adjust to become more disciplined in our walk after you. Jesus, I thank you for giving us the example. I thank you for being the example for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for being our comforter and our guide as we pursue being more disciplined and more Christ-like. As always, Holy Spirit, I ask you to direct my words. Give me boldness to declare them as you've placed them in my heart. I thank you for the words and the stories, the scriptures and the illustrations that they would come in your exact timing today. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's watching live and will watch this later. Speak to them, encourage them, let them leave motivated and challenged to know we can do this. We've been gifted and qualified and equipped for this season. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. amen. As you know, our mandate this year for 2021 is the courage to pioneer. Everybody say pioneer. Pioneering means we're going where we've never been before as a church. We're also going where we've never been before as Christ followers. And so as pastor began to lay this out with the staff and share with us his heart for the different elements of this mandate, this is one that I got super excited about. And today we're talking about discipleship, about moving from just being a believer, someone that knows Jesus or maybe even knows about Jesus, maybe someone that goes to church, maybe has a Bible, but moving from that position to not only knowing about him, but knowing him personally. And not only knowing him personally, but wanting to be more like him as we get to know him and have the fruit of, the, 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 um, the fruit of love being our main fruit because that's the fruit we see in Jesus' life. That's what discipleship means. It means that we would demonstrate what Jesus demonstrated to everybody around him. Do you believe that? And last week, I'll just take a step back. If you weren't a part of last week, I want to give you this question that Pastor posed, and I think we should ask ourselves this as we go through this 10-part series. Where am I in my relationship with God? Am I just a believer in Jesus who does the church thing every now and then as long as nothing else comes up? Or am I passionately pursuing what it means to be a fully devoted disciple of Christ. Now, as you read that, you find yourself in one of those two spots. And my prayer is that as you would listen, as you would learn, as Pastor continues to share, as Pastor Tom weighs in on this conversation, that you would desire to be more than just a believer in Jesus who does the church thing. That something would spark in you, something would be stirred in you where you say, that's not enough. I want to be fully devoted, pursuing, and passionate about this thing and this person in this relationship with Jesus. So let's redefine what the difference between a believer and a disciple is. A believer is someone who gives intellectual assent to the truth of the Bible and may occasionally feel close to God. But disciples are so overwhelmed by those truths in the reality of God, that everything in their life revolves around, oh, come on, you can say it better than that, that it revolves around Jesus. 
that it revolves around Jesus. I, I like to be in a church where we talk about Jesus. We talk a lot about God and religion and the Bible, but this is all comes down to a relationship with, with Jesus. You can love your Bible, but if you've never met Jesus, you're still missing out. You can get in a small group and have great community, but if you don't meet Jesus, you're missing out on the whole gospel. And my prayer for you is that you would come and meet the real Jesus over the next few weeks and say, I like that guy. Oh, man, I I like what he's doing around people. I love these stories. I'm stirred. I I think I want to know him more. My prayer is that you would not only want to know him more, that you would say, you know what? I want to model my life after his life. I want to be Jesus in this age and hour. Amen. So today I want to talk about the, the second price. Pastor talked about the price of being a disciple last week, and the number one price that we pay is we're passionately committed to Jesus. Passion means there's some energy about it. To be a disciple, it means you actually want to be a disciple, and you're excited, and there's enthusiasm about your walk with the Lord. And today, I want to continue part two, talking about the price of discipleship comes by having an extraordinary love for people. An extraordinary, I didn't just say, you got to love people. Non-believers love people. I've met lots of sinners that loved me better than I loved them. The, the, the gospel is calling us to an extraordinary love for God's people. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, oh, you're, oh you follow God. I like, I like that Jesus guy, but I don't really like Christians. You've never heard that? I hear it all the time when I say, oh, I'm a pastor. Those people on the airplane or in our neighborhood, what do you do? And I'll say, oh, I'm, I'm," and you have to really think, like, should I tell them? Because I already know the reaction is going to be, it's going to be a little bit offstandish, like, oh, we didn't know. I like to play golf, and and sometimes I'll I'll get paired up with other guys at different golf courses that I don't know, and man, we get up on the first tee, and man, they are slinging the F-bomb, they're using the Lord's name in vain, they're cussing, spitting, smoking, drinking, they're going crazy, and two holes in, they'll say, hey, by the way, what what do you do for work, Josh? And I said, do you really want to know? And I say, to be honest with you, I'm a pastor at a great church right here in North Reading. And they say, oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I, I didn't. Oh, forgive me. I, I, oh, I, I, won't, I won't curse anymore. <laughs> but the rest of the round, they're quiet. They don't say anything. I mean, there's this instant divide between us. Why is that? Why is there a divide between people love what they read about Jesus, but they don't like us? There's a great divide in our society right now, and I think this is the divide. It's we don't know how to love them like Jesus loved them. They read about it, a love that that surpasses even comprehension, and then they encounter you and me, and what they find is judgment, anger. They find people that are unsatisfied in their own lives. I got to be honest with you, like there has to be a shift in our society that they see the love of God through us and not just through words written on a page. Oh man, that's good preaching. Listen, listen, if we're going to win our friends and win the lost and, and reach our communities and take the gospel to the ends of the world, it's more than words, it's action. It's how we use our words. It's how we love people. They'll feel the love more than they'll hear the love. 
And too many Christians are talking about how much they love everybody, but the words don't carry any weight and they don't feel that love when you're gone. Man, this is my prayer that even as a pastor, that this extraordinary love never stops growing in me. Because the truth is, we can get to a place where we think we've loved enough. And then you meet somebody who's farther than you've ever gone to reach somebody. It's an extraordinary love. So let's talk about this extraordinary love. What does it mean to love like Jesus loves? What does it mean to love like Jesus? To love like Jesus means we don't look the other way when people are hurting. We move towards them and provide comfort and care. Too many of my friends over the years were in a hurting spot and I backed up thinking, oh man, they're in a real pickle. And Jesus was saying, man, I've put you in their life not to back up from them, but to pursue them and to engage them right there. One of my favorite scriptures, it says that Jesus waded right in to take on the troubles of the troubled. He wasn't afraid of getting dirty, messy, sticky. He wasn't worried about whatever was on them rubbing off on him. In fact, it was the opposite. He wanted them to know, man, you're in this, I'm in it with you. That's what it means to love like Jesus. To love like Jesus means we don't stand back and condemn radical sinners. We get to know them and earn the right to be heard. I remember one night I was, forgive me for saying this, but I was intoxicated as a young person. My wife's the only one laughing. And and I was downtown partying with my friends and there was these people with huge signs saying, you're going to hell, turn or burn. And I remember being intoxicated, walking up to one of them saying, you ain't never going to win nobody like that. You know what? That's how a lot of people judge Christians is they think that we're always condemning them and judging them. To love like Jesus means we don't stand back and condemn them. We get to know them and earn the right to be heard. To love like Jesus means we don't just tolerate those who have different views. We explain God's truth with kindness. Everybody say kindness. And without condemnation. To love like Jesus means we don't love only those who are easy to love. For we dig deep to love those who are hard to love. Like you and me. Some of us think we're easy to love. And I'm just going to tell you the truth. You're not easy to love. And sometimes I think that I'm, why is it so difficult for people to love me? I'm not so easy to love sometimes. And here's the thing, somebody did love me at one point even beyond my hardness and my shell and the gospel of Jesus broke through and I wanted to say, man, I want to be like you. How many people are just waiting for that? I'm going to be honest with you and this is just flat out truth. I'm not going to charge you for this one, okay? Everybody knows their hardness. They already know they're hard to love. They already know their difficult situation. And here's the thing, to love like Jesus We've got to dig deep and say, man, would Jesus walk by them or would he go after them? John chapter 13, I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures today. 1334, the message. Jesus says this, it's red letters, love one another. Turn to your neighbor and say, that includes you. Love one another in the same way that I loved you, you love one another. For this is how they will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for each other. When me and you go on our jobs, how do people know that we're Christians? 
What's the indicator that they're going to find out that you're a Christian? I remember me and Stephanie worked for a Christian company one time, and he wanted to put the cross on everything. His business card was on our logo. It was on the back of our vehicles that we drove. It was everywhere. I said, what's with the cross? He said, oh, it's to let everybody know we're a Christian business. And I said, if that's the only way they know we're a Christian business, man, you should take that junk off of there. They should know we're a Christian business when they encounter us in sales, when we answer the phone, when they walk into our business, when we sell them something, when we buy something from them. They should understand and encounter, wait a second, what's, what's going on? You guys are just a printing company. Something's different. Well, we didn't tell you, but we, we love Jesus around here. We want to make sure that everybody knows we, we're going to love you as he's loved us. That's how the people will know that we're disciples. Listen, this isn't my words. This is the words of the boss. This is the guy that's in charge. How are they going to know? Are we going to get bumper stickers that say, follow me to IFC? Man, the way you drive, I hope not. I want people to encounter us. Listen to me. I hope you hear my heart today. I hope that they recognize something's different with us out even having to tell them. I have a feeling when Jesus showed up to town, the reason people were flocking to him was because they felt the love that exuded from him in his actions and in his words. So they will know. You know, the truth is we can only express the love of God to others, to the contentment or to the experience that we've had in ourselves. Let me say that again. We can only express the love of God to others to the extent that we've experienced it ourselves. 1 John 4.10 says, For this is love, not that we loved God. You didn't love him first. He loved you. But he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, I love we stop saying that. Dear friends, it's almost like, okay, you're going to get this. Listen, dear friends, since God lo- so loved us, we also ought to love others. Just take a break for a second right here. It may be difficult for you to love others the way that Christ loves them and wants to love them through you, but you first experience and have to experience over and over again that love that he gave to you. You can't give something away that you haven't received yet. If I told my friend Dawn, hey, Dawn, I want to give you this $100. Will you give it to Sean? And she says, no, you give it to him. I can't expect her to give him the money if I don't let her receive it first and her be willing to receive it. But the moment she takes ownership over it, guess what? She don't have to give it to Sean. She can give it to whoever she wants. It's the same way with the love of God in our lives. Believers just hear about the love. But disciples immerse ourselves in the scriptures to understand and comprehend the length and depth and breadth and height of the love of Christ for us so that we can give it away freely everywhere we go. Expressing love may come easy for some believers. Listen to this, but the real measure of a disciple is our love for the least. The real measure of a disciple over a believer is a love for the least, for the lost. How about a love for those from different cultures? And how about a love for your enemies? This is where I want to land for the next 18 minutes. One pastor called these the the four dimensions of love. If you're going to move from a believer who loves God to a disciple who exudes the love of God to those around them, 
These are probably going to be the four trickiest ones for us. There's another extraordinary love that's required to reach out, number one, to the least. To the least. There's a, there's a, you can't do that on your own in your own human flesh. You have to have the love of God inside of you to reach out and love the least. Matthew chapter 25, verse 37 says this. It says, then the righteous will answer him. It says, at the judgment seat, and they'll say, Lord, when did you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king, the Lord Jesus, will say to them, truly I tell you this, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did it for me. Every time that we give people love that are less than us, we're becoming like Christ more and more every day. Every time that we take a moment and pause for somebody that's in need and we show them the love of God, whether it's through love, whether it's through words, whether it's through action, whether it's through finances, you are becoming more and more like Jesus. In 2011, me and my wife were living at the beach in Southern California. We were planting a church and some friends of ours that were a part of our church plant there, they, they had just such an overwhelming compassion for the hurting they were both drug addicts before they got saved, and they lived on the street for quite some time. And so when they got saved, they just became radically in love with the least of those, people that were in their situation, because they had a context and understanding of what it means to raise a family with no home. The difficulty and challenge of raising kids and feeding kids and clothing kids when you don't know where you're going to sleep at night. And they begin to talk to us about going down to the pier in Oceanside, California. And they say, Pastor, we've just taken some sandwiches this week. We, we got our kids together and we just felt like we're going to make eight sack lunches and we're going to go down to the pier because we've been seeing some homeless people down there and some people that are in transition in life. And, and, and we just want to let them know like, hey man, you got dinner tonight. Or your kids can have these lunches for school tomorrow. And I said, you, 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 you What? Would you ask him up with that idea? And he said, we just, we just decided, man, we're just going to start providing sack lunches for these families so the kids can have lunch at school tomorrow because they won't have it if we don't go. And so that first week, I said, Mark, how did it go? He said, man, he said, we only packed like eight or 10 lunches. He said, man, 25 people showed up. Pastor, do you think that, that there's any money in your, in your budget to help us feed these families? I said, heck yeah, man, how much you need? And we, we started giving them money weekly and I kind of let them do their own thing. And one night, me and Stephanie were out cruising around on our beach cruisers. And I was totally forgot they were having the Friday night feeding. And so we saw them down by the pier. And there was like 30 or 40 people there. And I was like, holy smokes, this thing's growing. And so we went and got off our bikes. And he said, Pastor, will you preach? I'm, I'm going I'm to gather everybody together. And we're going to preach the gospel. And I said, oh, man, I, I didn't come prepared to preach the gospel. I, I'm on a bike ride with my girlfriend. I mean, what? And in the moment I saw these people gathering, eating sandwiches and potato chips, drinks, and I just got up there and I just shared a simple message like this. I ain't got much to give you, but just know that God loves you. 
and he cares about you. And these, these wonderful family right here that provided this food, they're just an extension. They're just disciples through Jesus letting you know he loves you and he cares about you. You know, that ministry grew and grew and grew to where they were feeding dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of families every single Friday night. And I'm going to tell you this, it wasn't difficult. It started with a peanut butter sandwich and a heart for the least. As me and my wife began to join them, we found ourselves seeing people all over our community that normally we would drive by and pass up. But something that they were doing was rubbing off on me. And the compassion of God started rising up in me. I think it became annoying because I'd see someone, I'd just pull over. I remember in our neighborhood, we were going on another date. And there was a lady, she was totally intoxicated, sitting on our curb, just bawling her eyes out. And I started bawling, seeing her. I pulled the car over and I met with her and prayed with her. And she was, she was out there. I put some money in her pocket. I just said, hey, Lord, I don't know where she's going or where she's been, but let her know that you love her. You know, to this day, I, I have a hard time driving by people with signs. Before you judge me and say, well, you know what they're going to do with that money? I want to ask you, what would Jesus do? Do you think he'd pull the car over and say, you should just get a job. You've been out here for six months. Because that's how some of us feel as we drive by. May we never lose the compassionate heart of Jesus that crusts our eyes over and crusts our heart over. Then we pass by the least in judgment. Here's the thing, you and I may be the only Jesus they ever meet. And that one time you stop the car, roll down the window, maybe the breaking point, that may be the day that they say, I'm done, and you get to water the seed and harvest the seed by them receiving Jesus Christ and finally accepting that love that they've been longing for so long. Nobody's shouting right now, but I'm going to tell you this, this will change your life right here. When you get a compassion for somebody lesser than you, your life does now have greatness. Amen. It's one of the most gratifying experiences of a disciple who's able to help hurting people who can't give you anything in return. For when we start loving like that, let it be a true indicator you are becoming more like Jesus. Amen. The second area we're going to need an extraordinary love. The second group is we're, we have to have an extraordinary love for the lost. Everybody say the lost. What's the lost? It's just somebody doesn't know what you know. It doesn't know that they've been found. It doesn't know that Jesus died and resurrected so they can have an eternal life starting right now that's greater than their hopes, dreams, or thoughts. Anybody lost is just someone who hasn't received the gift that we've received. Matthew 22, verse 37 says it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, for this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is very similar to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You could take that one scripture and build your life theology on it. Now, I'll be okay if I just love God with all my heart and if I love people as I love myself. I can tell you this, that's the keys to success in life right there. Put God first and put people first as you put yourself first. It takes an extraordinary love to love somebody that's lost in sin. It actually takes the heart of God to do that. 
I was thinking about Jesus. You know, when I read the gospel, I don't see him hanging out at church very much. I hear him going and preaching in the church, but it doesn't seem like from my Bible, and maybe yours different, but he doesn't like to hang out at church that much. I think he showed up to drop a bomb and leave. But when I see him, it says that he was going from village to village to village to village to village to city to village to, to do good among the people, to heal that all were, that were sick and to love on them and to love on them and to love on them. Why? Because he knew they were lost. At one time he says, I have to leave this city to go to this city because there's some lost folks over here. I find that the Jesus that we're called to, to live after and be discipled under and to learn from him had a totally different model than we've had. And that is that we like to surround ourselves with Christians who are on the same boat with us. And Jesus said, anybody can do that. It takes a true disciple to love somebody as you love yourself. It takes true discipleship. It takes an extraordinary love of the Father placed in a man to say, you know what? They're lost. I'm going to have dinner with them. They need it more than my Christian folks do. I want to be consumed with this idea that, 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 that we exist here. And I have seen for those that just aren't here yet. I know we're six feet apart and we're social distancing, but each of these chairs that's empty represents somebody that's lost, that belongs in this house, that needs some love. Every time we gather, even after this pandemic, and there's an empty seat next to you, let me remind you that seat has somebody's name on it. Somebody that's lost, someone's grandbaby, somebody's grandmama, somebody's nephew, somebody's uncle, somebody's daddy. And the question is, how will we reach them? We'll reach them by being discipled like Jesus was. That we're more focused on the lost than we are on the saved. Jesus was consumed with it. Jesus didn't see people as they saw themselves or as Christian folk had labeled them. The religious leader said, he's hanging out with prostitutes. Did you see this guy? He's hanging out with those tax collectors. He's going to that party and everybody's getting wasted. He provided wine at the wedding where everybody got wasted. Did you hear that? I imagine that everywhere Jesus went, he heard little grumblings. It's stirrings, but it wasn't about or from people that were needing him. It was from people that were judging him. I think about this. Listen to me. Listen, Jesus didn't see the lost, and this is a paradigm I want to help you break this morning. You can't see them as targets of evangelism. Because that's how you'll treat them. You have to see them as objects of God's creation that just haven't received his love yet. Evangelism needs to take a turn from judgment to they're lost. We got to preach for them. To man, they're lost. We need to go spend some time with them. It's not so much about the message that you preach with the lost. It's about how you make them feel that opens their heart to the message that they don't even know they need. 2009, I got invited to go preach at a tattoo shop. And I'll be honest with you, I was nervous, as you would be. Anybody ever preach at a tattoo shop with a bunch of bikers? They all show up high and talk about how many strippers they slept with the night before and what they're going to do tonight and all the drugs that they got in their pocket and they're doing drugs before you get there. Like, it was wild. 
And that first night, I thought, this is going to be awesome. We're going to preach the gospel. I, they were targets of evangelism in my little mind. And then I got to the Bible study and realized nobody's got a Bible. And nobody's going inside. I thought we was having a Bible study. And in a moment, I just realized, why don't I just hang out with them outside while they smoke their cigarettes and just hang out with them and get to know them. And when the Bible study needs to happen, they'll let me know. And so I went that first week, and, and, and I didn't say anything. What's your name, dude? What's your name? How y'all doing? Sweet bike, man. What's going on? Tell me about you. Tell me. And there was eight or nine of us, and we hung out for an hour, and they chain-smoked outside and dropped every filthy language you could think of. And after an hour, man, one of them was like, I got to go, man. Strip club's opening. I got to get out of here. And my heart was broken. I thought... I was going to preach the gospel, and I left it got in my car, and the Lord said, I didn't send you there to preach the gospel. I just called you there to love those guys. At the right time, they'll receive the gospel, but they won't open their hearts until they know how much you love them, and they know how much I love them through your love. You know what? It was six months. Every Wednesday night where I just showed up and stood outside and talked about hot rods and talked about motorcycles and talked about leather jackets and biker clubs. And listen to all the nonsense that they had going on. And six months after we went and opened that door the first night, six months later, finally, one guy showed up one night. And he said, I thought this was a Bible study. And somebody going to tell me about Jesus? I said, I'm glad you asked. Y'all want to sit down for a minute? And by then, I had all the respect of them. They knew me by name. We had ridden motorcycles together. We had done rod runs together. I had been in their homes. They had been in my home. And in a moment... Somebody said, man, I thought somebody would tell me about Jesus. I said, I've been telling you about him for six months, but I'll just introduce you to him officially right now. And when I prayed with that man, I said, anybody else want it? And all of them raised their hands. I want that, Pastor. I want that, Pastor. And that night after six months, we prayed with a bunch of guys, and there was a huge turning point in that Bible study because the next week they showed up with their grandmother's Bibles under their arms. You know those big living Bibles that take two men to carry down the stairs? They were bringing that thing and saying, now where was that scripture you were telling me about last week, you know? Jesus didn't see people as targets of evangelism. He saw them as objects of his love. He saw them as creation and he said, whatever it takes to reach them, I'm willing to go there. As someone moves from a believer to a disciple, one of the biggest signs of change is that the person begins to view others through the lens of God's love. Instead of this word right here. How will I know if I'm becoming a disciple? Is there, is there, a, a, is there a mark in this process where I know I went from believer to disciple? Here's a clear one right here. You'll stop looking at people through judgmental eyes and you'll start saying, man, I wish they knew how much God loved them. And I wish I had an opportunity to tell them how much God loved them. And Lord, I wish you'd give me this, this opportunity to engage with them as a friend and add value to them. So that at some point, I may have the opportunity to present the gospel. For a lot of us, we want to harvest every time we plant a seed. We want to meet somebody. Hey, I'm Josh. How are you doing? Are you saved? You're not? Would you pray this prayer after me? Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, confess with your heart, believe with your mouth. You're saved. And that's what they hear. What was his name? I don't know. He seems crazy to me. 
I just came to the mall to get some shoes. I didn't know who is what. But that's how we treat lots of people. Jesus got to know them. He told, he told uh, Zacchaeus, hey, come down out of that tree. Man, I'll have dinner with you tonight. You seem cool. All these other guys are religious. I want to hang out with you. He's going to hang out with Zacchaeus. What was he doing? He wanted to add value to Zacchaeus' life so that his heart would be open to receive the love. A measurement tool to see you've gone from believer to disciple is love versus judgment. The real measure of a disciple is loving the least, loving the lost. But listen to this one, number three, loving across cultures. Acts 2, 7 says this, there were many Jews staying in Jerusalem. Just, just then some devout pilgrims from all over the world. And when they heard a sound, they, they came on the run. Then when they heard one after another their own native tongues being spoken, they were blown away. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on. And they kept saying to each other, aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talking our various mother tongues, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Age, all these places. They said they're speaking our language, describing God's mighty works. Listen, from the beginning of the church, because this was where the church was born, from the beginning of the church age, God's plan has been that we all unite together from all of our various places that we came from. This is something the church has got to get right in this time period right now. That God loves you no matter what color your skin is or what color it isn't. And that he's called us to love each other just like he did in this initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It ain't about you. It ain't about my tongue or my tribe. It's about kingdom culture. I'm going to stay here for one moment because the church has been so divided. It's time that we get back to a place where we recognize, man, I'm just grateful to be called of God as a son of God. And if he's called you to be a son and you look different, my response is, man, you're my brother. You're my sister. And together we can make a difference. Thank you, Pastor. And this may be a difficult for some to say, well, if that's what it means to be a disciple, I'm out. Good for you. This is true Christianity right here. Understanding that the Holy Ghost came to give you a power because you can't do it on your own because we're filtered everything through society and marketing and advertisement. And now with social media, we're bombarded on how we should think about another race or another color or another gender or another sexuality than you're used to. The gospel says, oh, there's a greater power that's been given to you to love like you've been loved. It's going to take extraordinary to love or extraordinary love to love someone that doesn't look like you. See, we're trained by this earthly kingdom to be suspicious of differences and to condemn anything that makes us feel uncomfortable. Just get on Twitter and you can find out that's true. Get on Facebook. Get on Instagram. Everybody's telling you what they're against and why they don't like it. And the gospel's called us to have a heavenly mindset. This is what a heavenly mindset says. It says we value every person as Christ values them. Heavenly mindset says we go out of our way to connect with people who are not like us. 
Heavenly mindset says we give up our rights and our comforts so we can pursue a higher order of unity. That's discipleship. Heavenly kingdom says we seek to understand rather than seeking to be understood. Heavenly mindset says we determine to love people no matter how they treat us. The day the church gets this right is the day we advance the kingdom at a greater pace. I love, I have all these reasons why I love IFC, so maybe this is reason number 355 why I love IFC, is though all these 60 nations come to worship together and we recognize you and we honor you from where you came, when we come into this house, we celebrate kingdom culture and we lift up the kingdom of God above everybody else or any one nationality. Listen, me and you are united by the blood of Jesus. Not through your natural physical blood. We're, we're united through a blood that was poured out for us that we can see each other as brothers and sisters. And that right there is discipleship. That's going to require an extraordinary kind of love for you to experience first. I wish this got more cheering today, but it's okay. The real measure of a disciple is our love for the least, the lost, and those from different cultures. And this is my most difficult one, if I'm being real. It's a love for our enemies. Mm, everybody say, mm. It takes something supernatural to love somebody lesser than you. It takes an extraordinary love to love, some, love somebody that's lost and doesn't know the kingdom takes an extraordinary amount of love through the power of the Holy Spirit to love somebody that's different from you. But because we're so natural-minded, it takes an extraordinary love to love somebody that's done you wrong. Yeah. It takes an extraordinary amount of love and comprehension of how much God loved us for you to love somebody who intentionally tried to set you up, hurt you, stop you, Keep you from being everything you want to be. Matthew chapter 5 says, There is a saying, Love your friends and hate your enemies. They were all familiar with that because that's what the religious leaders were teaching. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true sons of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. Think about that right there. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust too. For if you love only those who love you, what, what good is that? Even a scoundrel can do that much. If you are friendly only to your friends, how are you different from anybody else? Even the heathen, the lost, do that. But you are to be perfect as your Father is perfect in heaven. Perhaps the highest order of love is the God-given capacity to love people who have made themselves our enemies. As I've been preparing this, I was thinking like, which one is the hardest for me? Because these are all hard. This has got to be the hardest one for me. You do me wrong, man. I have a hard time moving forward and loving you to the extent you need some love. In my past, I would just push you out and say, no more. I'm good with you. I'm all set. And that's just an earthly mentality to protect yourself. To love God and to love people doesn't mean you allow people to continually hurt you and transgress against you. It just means even though they're doing that, you still realize they don't know what they're doing. 
and you love them through that. You say, well, that's so difficult. I know. That's why Jesus came, because he knew you and I were going to be abused and hurt, set aside, spoken against, called out for one reason or another from the people closest to us. When I used to think of enemies, I thought about people that were like at odds. Like I think about enemies in war. You know, I think about this army versus this army. But that's not how the devil does it anymore. He wants to make enemies of those closest to us that have said hurtful things. Relatives, family members, what we call down south, kin. The closest. And we've allowed, based on our earthly mentality and our mindset, I'm all good with that. I don't need that brother anyways. I didn't like him anyways. I remember in seventh grade, you start going back over something that happened today and you realize you've talked yourself into, he's been an enemy this whole time. He's been trying to get me. And we go back to a place where there was hurt and we relive that over and over and over and over and even though they've moved on, you become a prisoner in your own mind. The call to love that comes down is for the least, the lost, those different from us, but it also includes our enemies. And the enemies come in all shapes and sizes. In fact, Jesus in his final hours gave us the greatest example of this one right here. He walked for 33 years loving all these others, but in his final moment, he proved this one out. As he hung between two thieves, and they were rolling dice to see who's going to get his clothes. He looked up and said, Father, forgive them. For they don't even know what they're doing. You know, for me to move past the pain and hurt in my life, I had to take on that same verbiage. They just don't know any better. They wouldn't hurt me intentionally. They wouldn't do that on purpose. They're obviously broken in their own life. Something's happened to them. And that's the only way they know to respond to this situation or this circumstance. And the call to love says, man, I see the best in them. They would never do that on purpose. That's how God loved us. They would never run from me if they knew how much I loved them. They would never choose that path if they'd seen what I'd done for them. It takes extraordinary love to... Love those that have hurt us. Here's what I want to give you as your homework this week is this, this statement to chew on. It's true disciples are known by the depth of their love for people, especially for those who are different or difficult. Next slide. Love is clear. Love is a clear indication of your devotion to Jesus than your church attendance. Your proclamations of faith, how many small groups you attend, what spiritual gifts you possess or the service that you use. Love is the most important trait of a disciple. It's easy as believers to say, I go to church, I read my Bible, I'm in a small group, I serve on a team. I have the gift of blah, blah, blah. Believers love to tell you where they're at in their faith. Disciples love just to walk it out and let you tell them there's a difference. Believers are trying to draw their attention to you. I know how to read Psalm 23. Great, so do I. I memorized two-thirds of the New Testament. I bet you didn't do that. Who cares? The Bible says you can add up all these things, all these accolades and accomplishments, and they sound like a couple clanging cymbals if you don't have 
I want the people meet me to feel the love of God through me. I don't want them to leave and say, man, that just sounds like a bunch of racket. I'm glad he's gone. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you to take this message to heart today and ask yourself this week in your quiet time, which one of these, Lord, is the hardest one for me? To love the least, guess what? You're going to need some more compassion. To love the lost, you're going to need some more empathy. To love a different race or a different ethnicity, guess what? You're going to have to see people through the love filter that Jesus sees them. Beautifully created as a masterpiece unique to his calling and purpose. And to love your enemies, you're going to need grace. You're going to need some supernatural grace. This is the call of discipleship, living and operating through an extraordinary love for people. Maybe you're here today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and you say, man, I I am one of those. I I feel like the least. Let me tell you something. We have a place for you here at IFC. I don't care where you came from, where you're going. I don't care what you have or what you don't have. Man, we love everybody regardless of any status. You have a place here. God wants you to feel his love in this house. Maybe you're lost today and you say, man, I don't know Jesus. I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a moment. Maybe you're here and you're, you're from a, a different nation and you're trying to find a tribe. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to find family. Guess what, man? We got all kinds here. We love all kinds here. Come join us. Come be a part of what God's doing here in this house. Maybe you're an enemy or you've been called an enemy to somebody because you were hurt and you extended hurt to them. I want you to know we've got a place for you to grow and move past that hurt and find freedom. Jesus Christ I want to just take a moment and talk about the second person, the lost with your heads bowed and your eyes closed I don't want to embarrass you today but maybe you don't know Jesus maybe you've never felt the love that I've been talking about, you've just heard it heard it, heard it, but you want to feel it, you want, you want a new start you want to begin to pursue a relationship with this Jesus that I was talking about, it's so simple guys the Bible says all who call out in the name of the Lord shall be saved simple you say Jesus I need you I believe you died for me and were raised from the dead I'm choosing you today if you're here and that's the prayer of your heart would you do me a favor online as well let us know in the chat box but I want to pray for you again I won't embarrass you but if that's you would you just place your hand up in the air so I know who I'm praying for today say pastor pray for me I want to meet that Jesus you were talking about I need an encounter with real love Anybody at all, you say, man, include me in that. I I want prayer. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, I see you. I see you in the back. I love this part of the service. Anybody else want to join these two? You say, include me in this prayer, pastor. I need Jesus. I'm hurting. I'm broken. I'm ready. I'm ready for something new, something fresh. I need a family. Maybe you're online. I want you to pray this prayer with us. For those of you that raised your hand in the back, would you just say this? We're all going to say it together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving me such great love by the sacrifice of your Son. I believe you did raise him from the dead so I could live this life at another level right now. Today, 
I choose Jesus. Amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you just gave your heart to the Lord, and we welcome you into the family of God. Come on, make some noise for all those.